Hello, and I'm back at Permissionless here in Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, I have a new guest, Edward Tai from uh, Alumni Ventures. Now, as you guys have, have probably heard on my podcast, I, I love talking about startups, obviously, founder of one, and some of the challenges and opportunities in terms of fundraising and just the current state of the sort of uh, funding market. I think the, there's this sort of mentality that I've seen going around. It's like, let the the end of the good times, if you will. Like, you know, there was this famous blog post about 10 years ago from, I think it was in Jason Horowitz or one of those big VCs that said, tighten your buckle, you know, or tighten your belt, the good times are over. You know, so, Ed, Ed before we get into, into the actual topic, like, what are your thoughts on, on, and, but give us a little background on your company, maybe, and we can dig a little deeper in the current state of, of uh, the funding market and VCs in general. So Alumni Ventures, we're a venture capital firm mm -hmm. uh, made up of alumni from top schools and other community friends. We have 600,000 people in our subscriber base. Uh, I'm the managing partner of the Blockchain Fund as well as Westwood Ventures. Uh, we've done a number of blockchain-related deals uh, within Alumni Ventures, so BlockFi, Circle, Algorand, uh, Helium. So uh, it's uh, great to join the podcast. Uh, prior to this, I was working in Asia, specifically mm -hmm. China, and prior to this at, uh, at a VC firm called DCM. And uh, my first, I'd say, crypto investment or crypto-related startup investment was a company called Brave, Brave Software, uh, which we did um, in about 2016. Okay. Now, that's so you sounds like you have a... a um, uh, pretty diverse background so how did you get into the, the you know being in a you know at a venture capital firm yeah so I, I my background where I, I studied computer science uh, as an undergrad in grad school and then was working at a consulting firm um, called Bain and then uh, I wanted to put some of my uh, experience uh, working at or interning at some startups together with uh, some business background uh, at Bain and so uh, you know VC was a good kind of opportunity for that and uh, you know you know, uh, you know, I've been, in, I was in the startup environment. It was really fun, and so VC was another way to, you know, start uh, working with multiple startups. Yeah, it's it's it. You know, a, a little consulting company called Bain. You know, just just a just just a tiny, <laughs> just a small one. So it, it's always interesting to see the sort of path some some folks take into the VC world. So let's let's jump into the the current state. You know, you you're probably seeing these posts that that talk. Uh, you know, the end of the good times. You know, but you know. Buckle in, reduce your burn. All this. what are your thoughts? Are, are the good times over, or what, what's what's happening here? Well, I think David Sachs from Craft Ventures had a good uh, uh, YouTube video. Uh, people should check it out. He posted a few days ago. I think there's some similarities um, in terms of uh, you know the VC market seen downturns before. Uh, you know, 2000, 2001, uh, 2008, 2009. Uh, so it's 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 happened before. Uh, I think we're in the cusp, or we we've just started or entered potentially a, a downturn. Uh, but I think similar to the prior so-called downturns, there's two things that happen. One, uh, funding does get harder. Uh, so it does, you know, for companies or startups, you should control your burn. You should raise. You should consider how to stretch your dollar. So. Maybe you're not burning as much, but you're you're uh, having still modest or good growth. Uh, but the the flip side is that um, you know potentially it would be easier for startups to hire because some of the uh, RSUs or some of the incentive packages that you know the the large uh, tech companies are not worth as you know as much as they used to be. Mm -hmm. So it's it's better for hiring. And if you look at you know for instance 2009, there are a lot of great startups that came out of that. You know Airbnb, Uber, Square. 
Um, so I think as a VC, there's still a lot of opportunities. Um, you know, the bar is higher, but for startups, uh, you know, you ha kind of have to embrace the, you know, uh, the work of fundraising uh, as a as a CEO or as as a exec. Uh, but you know, I think it is important to be aware that the funding uh, market is, it, uh, has changed a little bit. You know, it's it's as as an entrepreneur, you know, currently in the midst of, of fundraising. It's funny, like I, the our investors, like now it's time to get real. You have to you have to lower your valuation because you know the venture capitalists were too free free uh, free flowing with their valuations previously, and it's almost like you know the the entrepreneur who has really no real say in the valuation is in this sort of position where they're like we we're the ones that have to tighten our belts because. The previous generation of VCs were too, um, I don't know, generous with their valuations. It, it seems a little odd because all the things you just said are things that you have to do as an entrepreneur anyway. You, you, you always need to watch your burn. You always need to make sure that you have you know, something that's growing and revenue-centric and all the things that make a business successful regardless of e economy still remain regardless of a good or bad economy. And it's almost like, you know, well, you broke it. And me, the entrepreneur, I have to fix it? Yeah, it's a good question. I think partly uh, it's the market that determines the valuation, and that's both the entrepreneur, the work of the entrepreneur, and how well he or she fundraises, as well as the VCs you meet. You know, you see, if your company has traction and you have a great team, uh, I think you still can still get a good price uh, or good valuation. Uh, you know, the early stage uh, seed and A rounds. There's some impact, but not as much because you're early rounds. I think for the mid to late, especially late stage uh, rounds where you're, you know, supposedly your company's close to an IPO, obviously those are impacted. A lot of those late stage investors, you know, guys like Tiger or, or SoftBank, they're aware of the, the you know, they want to see an IPO. If they want to see an IPO, obviously the public markets and what's happened to the public markets will impact, you know, their decision making. And, and so you can't blame them on that. Uh, but I, I think, you know... It, you know, in these tougher times, I think um, it's good to have a balanced view, uh, not necessarily just taking the highest valuation, uh, but also not uh, giving up too much ownership uh, unnecessarily and raising too much money. I think, you know, I think things will become perhaps, you know, right sized in the next few months and things are probably a little bit hot in the last two years. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And your your comment about Tiger is actually interesting. I, if I was reading an article the other day that said that Tiger has wiped roughly 17 years of gains in the last two weeks. And it's it's insane that you could lose 17 years of gains in two weeks. I think it's something like 17 billion or something. Yeah, I've heard. I mean, I've heard some you know numbers. Uh, I you know I don't have the you know direct you know insight into what's gone gone on there. Uh, but, uh, you know, Tiger's been active, you know, they've done a lot of deals and they've been actually quite successful in getting to a lot of these unicorns. So, uh, you know, obviously, uh, as a you know, fellow VC, I hope they do well with uh, what they're doing. Obviously, a lot of the uh, public market investors have had some uh, impact and, and downturn, unfortunately. And that's happened to also the retail investors. But hopefully we see some, some uh, better adjustment. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, companies like Tiger and, and the, the, the major sort of late stage investors in, in, in some ways have created those unicorns by, you know, anointing them with multi-billion dollar valuations. It, it, it's not like these billion dollar valuations come from, you know, your lead investor generally defines your, your valuation or, or, you know, helps, to, you know, increase those valuations. So, to, you know, they, they kind of made 
the bed that they're currently in in some ways. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, the the thoughtful thing about, you know, whether it be guys like, like Tiger or, or even other guys, new guys, newer ones like Alkion, is they see a lot of opportunity in tech. And, and tech and startups and VC has had gone through a, a large maturation process. If you look at the amount of dollars raised now versus 10 years ago or even the exits now, you know, last year there's over $750 billion in exits in VC, and that's up from, you know, 10 years ago, 2011 was under 70. You know, so there's been there's more exits. So a lot of companies are staying private longer. You know, so now that you, when you IPO, 20 billion, 30 billion IPO is not unheard of. Uh, and I think there's value in that. I think there's you know a lot of people are there's more money for companies to grow. They don't have to go IPO so quickly. Uh, but there's a balance. Uh, but I, you know, I think what this means is that there's just a lot more value in the private markets, and so we're seeing that. Yeah, I think I think that's a good, really good point. And j- just for our listeners, we're at the permissionless conference here in uh, Palm Beach, so we're in a hallway at the Hilton. Lots of ambient noise. You're getting a real feel for I think the conference. It looked quite a buzz here, um, e- even with the downturn in the market. I think you know we're we're seeing still a lot of excitement about the opportunities found in crypto and blockchain and related technologies. And you know, I I, I take away that a couple a couple things that I've I've, I've recurring discussion. Stable coins and algorithmic stable coins maybe aren't the most stable. Um, I think the Luna and Terra USD sort of discussion has been obviously a top topic, if you will. You know, what are your thoughts? Are, are, are algorithmic stable coins dead? Any 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 insights there? Or? Yeah, I, I think um, you know. Well, full disclosure: so Alumni Ventures, we're also investors in Circle. So, and they have a stable coin that's backed by uh, the U.S. dollar, and so. Obviously, I think, you know, if you have a stable coin that's backed by um, collateral, fully collateralized, like, like, like circles, uh, uh, you know, USDC, uh, that makes for a much more stable stable coin. You know, could algorithmic stable coins um, that are partially collateralized uh, make sense in the future? We, we shall see. You know, maybe collateral... You have some collateral on-chain, but I think in, um, the, the panel we had earlier today, uh, they're talking about having um, you know, on, uh, uh, real-world assets on-chain um, as collateral. So that's kind of interesting. I think, um, you know, I think uh, algorithmic-driven stable coins, um, it's a complex thing. I, I, you know, the stuff that happened to Terra and Luna, you know, there's different, you know, different opinions on what happened, obviously, it wasn't good for a lot of people, but um, hopefully there's better designs uh, and safeguards for, for people in the future. Yeah, I think, I think that makes sense. And, and, and while we're on full disclosure, uh, Circle is a close partner of ours. You know, if, in, if you look at the widget on the Fungibility site, the, the payment system is powered by our friends at Circle. Um, so shout out to Circle. Hopefully we get those guys on the show one of these days. Uh, if you're listening, uh, you guys... We'd love to have you on. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. And I think part of the problem that we see with a lot of these stable coins, you know, not pointing out anyone in particular, Tether, is the, uh, <laughs> is the lack of transparency, right? It, who the hell knows what's backing that $70 billion worth of Tether, really? Like, and, and that was the problem with, with Luna. It's like, 
well, we can't account for $3 billion worth of, of uh, our assets. Well, well how, can, how can you not account for it? Like, you, you either know where it's gone or, or you don't want to tell us. Or even if you don't know where it's gone, well, that's even crazier. How do you lose $3 billion? And I think that the last part of the equation, in my opinion, is the lack of, an, of retail investor protection. Like, I don't really care if the whales lose their shirts. That's, that's part of being a whale. But when the retail investor is in a position that they, they're going to lose $50,000, and $50,000 is their life savings because they thought that that was a stable option in a, term, in a tumultuous market, that's not fair. I think... If, if I could like dream up something right now to sort of address the broader problems of, of the sort of crypto and stable coin market, there needs to be some form of FDIC insurance that says if you are a retail investor and that stable coin goes belly up for whatever reason, I'm protected. And, th- and that could be a DAO, that could be some nonprofit. It needs to be it needs to be nonprofit, though. I don't think it can be a for-profit endeavor. But there needs to be better protections for the average retail, whatever you want to call it, holder. You have any, any thoughts? It's a good question. I think um, having some form of insurance, uh, you know, if it is a nonprofit or, you know, F, I mean, FDIC is, you know, or some kind of government regulation, the question is, like, how much do we want to see? I think, uh, I think part of it is fundamentally the design of the stablecoin or the, the DeFi tokens uh, that people are buying needs to be fundamentally sound and they need to be good investments. And so... You know, if they're not good investments, even if you have insurance, that's not sustainable. So I think I think insurance could be could be a solution, but fundamental fundamentally sound uh, uh, financial instruments is important. I think there is a lot to be said about uh, you know DeFi maturing and taking some cues from traditional finance. For instance, I was talking with my friend at Experian, and uh, you know they're looking at, for instance. Um, uh, uh, credit risk. Uh, credit risk. Let's say if there's a credit risk startup doing that kind of stuff for uh, for DeFi. You know, there's a lot of concepts uh, from the traditional finance world that if we took into DeFi, you know, credit risk, counterparty risk. Um, but even let's say, you know, how do we, you know, maybe uh, lend for mortgages um, and start having more traditional, what could be considered traditional banking. Uh, you know, financial instruments or financial products sold or, or packaged on DeFi, uh, maybe that could create more stable um, revenue sources for DeFi. And then, you know, if you're, you're doing some liquid staking, uh, you know, you have real revenue and it's not like some, you know, uh, thing in the, in the cosmos, you know, where you're getting, you know, f- f- you know 10 or 20 percent, you know, uh, uh, interest rate. But who knows where the money is coming from? That's a really good point. So for those who are not familiar with the podcast, if every episode we have a widget that sits on the fungibility.co site. You can learn more about my, my guests and, and earn some points and crypto tokens and NFTs by answering various questions, visiting various sites and so on. So check out fungibility.co to learn more about today's episode. Um, for our, our listeners, where can they learn more about you and your firm, um, social media, website? Great. You can come to av.vc. Um, that's Alumni Ventures. Uh, look under the funds, and we're under uh, Focus Funds. You can search for a blockchain fund, or you can find me uh, on LinkedIn, uh, Edward Tsai. Uh, Edward S. Tsai is my uh, LinkedIn handle. I know a lot of people are probably on Telegram, Edward S. Tsai on tele- Telegram as well. Edward, you didn't tell me you're AVVC. 
I, 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 I pitched you like a month ago, didn't I? I, I didn't. I don't know I, if I, I met you. Yeah. Uh, maybe my colleagues did. So, yeah, but like, for I, sure, we'll take a look. Going, you're going incognito yeah. here. That, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Full disclosure, I've, I've been pitching you guys for like a month. Anyway, so now, now we, we get a whole other perspective on, on this. On this, I'll just share it with the uh, the, the other crew. Uh, was it Michael and a few others? So, uh, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Um, and again. I'm Ruve at Permissionless here in Palm Beach, Florida. Until next time. Thank Great. you. Thank you.